is from Matthew 7, 13 to 29. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Thanks to the word of God. All right, we'll turn on your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. And we'll be starting in verse 13. I'd like to just open up with prayer for the word. Father, we, we give you now our hearts as you speak to us through your word. May every heart be open. And may your spirit move in power as it brings forward the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this will be the last sermon in our sermon series, and we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. If you remember, Jesus shared in in chapter 5 what kingdom people are like. He used the Beatitudes to do that, and he also talked about that we're to be influencers, we're to influence like salt and light. As salt influences food subtly, we as Christians, there are times that we need to subtly bring forward the gospel. As light breaks into darkness, there are times where we're bold and we take a stand for Christ. Chapter 6 talked about what we should do as Christians, talked about how we should pray and fast and give. In that section, Jesus also talked about how we're to be good stewards with what God has given us, our time, our talent, our treasure. And he also talked about how we're to handle things such as anxiety and worry. Moved into chapter 7. Chapter 7 deals more with relationships, relationships with others. And he uses the scribes and the Pharisees as examples. We are not to be hypercritical as those religious scribes and Pharisees are, always judging others, thinking we have it all nailed down, or hypocritical, saying one thing and then doing another. But instead, we should pray 
We should constantly pray, asking, seeking, knocking God for God to help us, particularly in these relationships with people we have. And this leads us into this section today. The section we're in today really is a wrap-up of the whole sermon. It's, if you want to call it an application, that's what it is. I want to call it just choices. Jesus is going to lay out for us three main choices that we have. And, and isn't life full of choices? I mean, you make choices every day, and a lot of them might be little small ones, like what kind of shoes am I going to wear, what clothes am I going to wear, what am I going to eat, those kind of things. But the choices that Jesus lays out here are the most important choice that you'll ever make. What Jesus does here, he lays before us that you need to make a decision. I need to make a decision. And he lays it out clearly. There's no wiggle room here. And everyone who was in the hearing of Jesus Christ that day, they had to make a decision right then. And today, there are going to be choices before you. And you must choose. What way will you choose to follow for your life? First thing we see. Choose purposely the right path for your life. Jesus is going to show us here that we need to purposely choose the right path versus the wrong path. There is a right way to go. And the scriptures are crystal clear. The issue is will you choose that way? Look at verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few that find it. So again, this is the beginning of the end of this sermon. This is that application. This is that area where he lays down very clearly that it's time to decide it's not like what you might call what a normal sermon is, right? Okay, hey, good speech, Pastor. Going to go get lunch. Where do you want to go? No, he is pressing here. He is pressing for a decision. And each of us, in the hearing of these words, we must decide. And so he says, enter through the narrow gate in verse 13. That is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not one of many opportunities that you can choose. Well, I think I'll choose door A versus B. He's saying, enter there. Enter through the narrow gate. Enter is an aorist imperative. That is a very strong one-time command. It is saying this way, only this way. And it must be the narrow way. Now, the way to eternal life is determined by God. But the way to destruction, the way to eternal death, you and I determine if we choose not to follow the way that God has made crystal clear in the scriptures. And since mankind has sinned and has turned away from God in rebellion in the fall, constantly you see God trying to woo people back to him, calling them to choose, calling them back into relationship with him. When Moses was leading the people of Israel through the desert, listen how God speaks through Moses in Deuteronomy. Chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live. 
you and your descendants. By loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob to give him. And then when the people, they came into the land, they started to drift away from the true and living God and they started to worship the idols of the people there and the idols that the people in Egypt worshipped. Listen to Joshua. He says, choose. Joshua 24 verse 15 says, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's always a decision to be made when it comes to God. Whom will you serve? And we don't think about those kind of idols nowadays, right? Idols made out of sticks and stone and, and metal. But guys, there are a lot of idols out there that many people, perhaps some of you right now are serving. It has become your God. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's notoriety. Whatever takes the place of Jesus Christ has become an idol. Whom will you serve? You need to choose this morning. Now, some people say, yeah, but Pastor Rob, I mean, doesn't the Bible say that God chooses me before I can choose him? Well, the Bible's pretty clear that God is sovereign. But can I tell you something? Don't you start letting your mind wander here. Jesus doesn't bring any of that kind of theology in this. He's saying you need to choose today. The answers are very clear. The way is plain. He says, enter, enter through the narrow gate. And by the authority of God's word and by the power of his spirit, God is calling us to make a decision today. Because each of us today are hearing these words from our Lord and Savior. Because either you're going to choose a narrow way, the narrow gate, or you're going to choose a broad gate, a broad way. Listen to the verses again. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few that find it. Now, what this is not saying is that there's a narrow way that you've got to work really hard to stay on, that somehow you need to do religion, and that's going to get you to heaven. It's not saying that. It's saying that you must enter in one way, that there's only one way, and it's a very narrow way. Well, what way is that? What is that narrow gate? Guys, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus already told us this in John chapter 10, verse 9. He said, I am the door. And if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It doesn't get clearer than that. By the way, gate and door is exactly the same Greek word. He is the way. He is the door. There is no other way. This is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. There are not a bunch of little options here. There's not a bunch of different sized doors. There's not a bunch of ways to get to heaven. One door, one way. And guys, this is what all the apostles preached. Listen to Peter. Acts chapter four, verse 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men 
by which we must be saved. So Jesus adds that the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life in verse 14. And in the context of the sermon right here, taken together, he's saying that everything that I've preached to you brings us to this point. Everything that I've said in this Sermon on the Mount is bringing us to this very important decision. And Jesus says that there's only one entrance and that there's only one path and that the entrance is small and and it's very narrow and the path is a narrow one. And what he's saying here is that it's only this way. Because this does not work well with our culture. We have a pluralistic culture. We want many options. We want to supersize everything, don't we? But Jesus says, no, 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 come back. It's only this way. Well, what does that look like? Because there are some things about this narrow way that we must recognize. First, the narrow gate, the narrow way, you have to come alone. This is not a, a group tank thing. This is not about heredity. This is not like the whole church just is automatically in. No, this is very personal. You must decide. You must decide. He is laying this before each individual there. You see, the Jews, they thought because we're Jewish, we just get to go to heaven. It doesn't work like that. It's a small, narrow gate. Picture a very small and narrow door so tight that you can't bring anything with you. You can't even bring that little lucky rabbit's foot that you're kind of hoping on. Nothing. Listen to John MacArthur. He says it's so narrow that we must go through it naked. It is the gate of self-denial through which which one cannot carry the baggage of sin and self-will. The way of Christ is the way of the cross and the way of the cross is the way of self-denial. Listen to Jesus. Jesus said to them in Matthew 16, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. Forever who wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So the narrow way, the narrow gate, you must come through it alone. You don't do it through a group or a bunch of people. It's you. You must decide. Also, second, no one enters in without repentance and faith. No one enters in through the way of Christ without repentance and faith. This means you recognize that you are a sinner and you recognize that he is the only way and you must turn from your sin and you must turn to Christ by faith, repentance and faith. In fact, this is what all the apostles preached. Listen to Paul, Acts 20, verses 20 and 21. He says, how did I not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house? solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, many of the Jews believed that you didn't need repentance. They just felt like, hey, I'm trying to keep the law. That's good. And by the way, I'm born as a Jew. So, hey, everything's fine. It doesn't work that way. You must repent. You must receive Christ by faith. Third thing, it's not an easy path, guys. It's a difficult path. It's not an easy road. The way in is narrow, and by the way, that path remains narrow. 
I kind of picture that you're, you're kind of up here in the, the local hills and, and, and the road has been graded. It's like a fire road. You guys ever been walking on those? They're, they're actually pretty easy because they're very broad. They're nice and graded. Everything's good. But off to my left, I see these two rocks that are really close together and there's this little trail that's going right up the mountain and Jesus is saying, go that way. But you've got to take off your pack and you're just barely going to be able to squeeze through it because that way leads to life. The narrow way. And it's so much tougher than the broad way. But the narrow way is the right way. But it's the difficult way. It's the demanding way. And the word narrow, by the way, means stenos in the Greek. And the root of it means to groan. To strive. The difficult way. And the fact that there are so few on it implies that it must be sought diligently, purposely. This is why Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13, this, he says, then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. No one's ever just stumbled into the narrow way. No one's just tripped into the kingdom of God. There's a hunger and a thirsting for righteousness. There's a mourning over sin. As a matter of fact, Jesus responds when somebody asks him, how come so few will enter into heaven? Listen to Luke 13, 23 and 24. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able One commentator said the kingdom of God is for those who come to the king in poverty of spirit and mourning over sin. And no one in their natural state loves to mourn over sin. No one in their natural state wants to really come to God on their own. And by the way, once you've entered into the gateway of life, it remains difficult. Jesus said this, in John 16, 33, it says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. So you come alone. You come repentant by faith. It's a difficult road, a difficult way. But Jesus, he makes the claim that he is God. In so many places in the New Testament, And as God, right now, God is speaking this sermon. So this is truth. There is no other door. There is no other way. You must, you must make a decision today because today is the day that you're hearing it. Jesus said this, he says, all things have been handed to me by my Father and no one knows the Son except the Father nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. So God is making a claim right here that we are to choose and choose which way we're gonna go for our life because if we don't choose his way, he says that there is another way and it's known as the broad way. Look at verse 13 again. It says, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. So the broad gate and the broad way. I kind of picture a city. When we were in Jerusalem, there's, a, there's an area when you're walking to the temple, it's really large. And man, you could pull a whole Mack truck right through it. And that's kind of the broad way. Man, bring anything you want. Man, bring that baggage of sin with you. It's accepted and it's good on the broad way. And it's bright and shiny. It's well lit. It's not that difficult. 
It's just even and it's smooth. Arkent Hughes said this, he says, on the wide road, if your thing is nature, hey, that's okay. If it's medication, that's okay. If it's morality or sensuality, that's okay too. The road has plenty of room for everybody as long as one's thinking does not turn to value judgments. It's okay to compare and contrast philosophies, but to to say one is better than the other is anathema. The relative is absolutized and the absolute is relativized. And this is such a picture of our day, isn't it? Every way is accepted, but really the narrow way. That's not accepted at all in our culture. But our Lord has made a promise that those who have chosen the narrow gate, those who have chosen the narrow way, it is great hope to us. Listen to Jesus. He said, because blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Don't lose heart, brother and sister, if you're on the on the rough patch, on the narrow way. You're guaranteed heaven. Saw an ad for the U.S. Marines. It's a picture of a sword, and beneath it are the words, earned, never given. And it means if you want to become a Marine, you have to earn it through sacrifice and hardship and training. And if you get it, you deserve it. But if there was an ad for Christianity, it would be the picture of the cross, And underneath the cross, it would say, given, never earned. It is offered to all. It is given freely because Christ paid for it on the cross. But you cannot earn it. And the way is narrow because it's only Jesus. He is the way. He is the door. Choose him. First thing we see, choose purposely a narrow path for your life. Second thing, so what way will you choose to follow in your life? Second thing, choose carefully who and what influences your life. Choose very carefully who you listen to, what you let influence you, because it really matters. Look at verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly or ravenous wolves. So so he begins with this idea of false prophets. Now a true prophet was one who was called by God, who was a proclaimer of God's word. But a false prophet, they, they use truth, but oftentimes they mix in untruth. Walter Martin used to say that a false prophet was one who had a skin of the truth, but it was stuffed with a lie. Now, false prophets in this section... I think Jesus is thinking about the scribes and Pharisees here, of course. But when you think about today, I think he's also thinking forward. He's thinking about the church that he knows throughout the eons of time, as long as the church is here on earth, that there will always be false prophets, those who claim to say the truth, but in essence, they're bringing lies. He says that they they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, the ravenous wolves. So sheep's clothing means they they look like the real deal. They look like a brother, or we could say now a a sister in the Lord. And and I think that these false prophets are not your standard heretics. They're not like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses that we all kind of know who they are. And and I think he's not really talking about even the big hair people that you see on some of the Christian channels that are always calling you to give money so that you can get rich. I don't think it's that kind of stuff he's talking about. 
I think that they, they share truth, they just don't share all the truth. I think they share some things, but not everything. I think at first you think, yeah, what he said is true. But they don't share everything of what the Bible says. And Jesus' language here, it demands that we understand that there will be teachers there that look good, sound good, but they're workers of iniquity. They're wolves. A couple quotes for you. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, the picture we need to have in our minds is the false prophet is a man who comes to us who at first has the appearance of being everything that could be desired. He's nice and he's pleasant. He appears to be thoroughly Christian and he seems to say the right things. He talks about God. He seems to be saying everything that a Christian should say. So there is nothing that at once attracts your attention or arouses your suspicions. Nothing glaringly wrong. Dietrich Bonhoeffer added this. He said, there is someone standing by my side who looks just like a member of the church. He's a prophet and a preacher. He looks like a Christian. He talks and acts like one, but dark powers are mysteriously at work. It was those who sent him into our midst. He may even be unconscious of this himself, of what he's doing. The devil can give him every encouragement and at the same time keep him in the dark about, of, about his own motives. So false teachers, they're preaching all the, is all right. They say nothing that is untrue, but really the problem is what they don't say. This is the issue. And, and his message wants to tickle the ears, wants, wants to make you say, well, I, I kind of like the way that makes me feel. It makes me feel good, usually about myself. Be careful. Jeremiah warned of it in his day. Jeremiah 6.14 says, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. And of course, Paul warned of it many times. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14. He says, for such men are false prophets, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So Jesus here, this is a warning. He's calling us to be on guard. And after the warning, he tells us what to look for. Look at verses 16 through 20. He says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit and the bad tree, it bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and it's thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by your fruits. Now I want you to look at the bookends, verses 16 and 20. They say exactly the same thing. You will know them by their fruits. Now the Greek word know it means full knowledge. It means you'll understand who they are by the way that their life and their words resonate. And so there's going to be evidences that we need to look for. And there's basically in two areas. One, by what they say, their doctrine. And two, by the way they live. So there should be a doctrinal test when we come to people who are preaching and teaching the, go the gospel, the word of God. Now I got this from... Arkent Hughes from his commentary, but I'm going to share these four things. I think they're very clear. First, a false teacher avoids preaching on such things as holiness and righteousness and justice and the wrath of God. He never says that he does not believe these truths. He just doesn't mention them. 
He stays away from those kind of things, things that are difficult, things that may make you feel uneasy. He, he wants to kind of stay in the area where you feel love and warm and fuzzy and how special you really are. Second thing, he avoids preaching on the doctrine of, of final judgment. Two of America's most influential cults, of course, are the Mormons and Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses, but they've rejected the teaching on hell. But did you know Jesus, he preached more on hell than anyone? Understand something here. Hell is a real place, a place of damnation and torment. It originally was, was created for the devil and his minions. But those who reject Christ, those who are in rebellion to God, will end up in hell. Listen to Jesus' words. He says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better that you enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell into unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and where the fire is not quenched. Eternal torment. See, a false teacher doesn't want to talk about that truth. He likes to stay where things are warm and fuzzy. Third, False teachers fall, fail to em emphasize the fallenness and the depravity of mankind. The truth is that mankind is sinful to the very core. That when Adam and Eve sin, that sin nature is in everyone. We have all inherited that sin nature. And that means that we are in rebellion to God. And unless we're born again, unless we're changed by the Holy Spirit because of our faith in Christ, you will reject him. You're lost. Everyone's lost without Christ. Finally, fourth, false teachers de-emphasize substitutionary death and atonement of Christ. They'll say they believe in the cross and they may even empathize and even cry about the cross, but they won't stress that you need a substitute. Typically what they do is they, they preach positive thinking or they preach you're special. But the Bible says you need a substitute. That mankind is so deep and dark in sin that God had to descend, send his own son who is the sinless one for a substitute for us. So false teachers, they talk about God, but they don't give you the whole truth. So that's the doctrinal test. The other one's the moral test. Their lives. And not only does this point to false teachers, but I think it also points to us, every Christian. This is kind of a test that we can use. And basically, it's the essence of fruit. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, for every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So Jesus is talking about the visible life, what you see, the things that people say, but also the way that they live. One writer said, a wolf can wear sheep's clothing, but it cannot grow sheep's coat. It's possible to put grapes on thorns and figs on thistles, but they cannot grow there. In other words, if you have a thorn bush, you can take a grape and you can stick it on it. And from a distance, it may look, hey, look, it's, it's a vine, until you go up and go, oh, it's a grape stuck to that thorn. The same way will be true in a person's life. Over time, the evidence of their faith, what they really believe, will bubble out. You'll see them for who they truly are. Are they a sheep? Are they a wolf? And people show the fruit of their lives by what dwells in them. Because a person who knows Christ, you've been changed from the inside. 
And then that character, those character traits will come out on the outside. Now Paul speaks about this very plainly. People who don't know Christ, they live in the spirit of the flesh. And people that know Christ, they live in the spirit, God's spirit. This is what Paul speaks about people who live by the spirit of the flesh. In Galatians 5, 19 and 21, he says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions and factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I also forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now Paul says very clearly that those who practice, that means somebody who's living out these traits, they don't know him. But who does? Paul goes on. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 25, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, the one who belongs to Christ, Jesus, has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So are you living by the flesh or are you living by the Spirit? If I asked a family member or a friend, would they say, yep, he lives by the Spirit? Or does that flesh, is that the evidence of your life? Because if it's persistent and it's continuing, that's who you are. If there hasn't been change since you've made that commitment to Christ, do you know him? That's what he's saying. Is that there will be fruit, there will be change because the life that has been sacrificed for us, it comes into us through the work of the Spirit and it changes us. Do people see it? Do you see it? Be careful. What influences you? Is it the Word of God? Is it the truth? Or is it the things of this world? You know, Chuck Swindoll told a story, really kind of a funny one. A friend of his ate dog food and didn't know it. And it happened at a physician's house. It was an elegant dinner. And the person who who went ahead and fed these people dog food, she had just finished a culinary class and she wanted to figure out if she could fool them. And so so she took this dog food, which Swindoll called it... um, let me read you what he said because it was funny. He said he called it hors d'oeuvres a la Alpo. <laughs> and so she took these little crackers and she put dog food on it. And then she put imported cheese and then a little pimento and an olive on there. And she put them on these silver platters and she served it to them and they all gobbled them up. Matter of fact, the guy that was telling says he went back again and again and he kept eating it. And then as the dinner progressed later on, she told him the truth that they actually ate dog food. At first they were kind of upset, but then they laughed. But I think this is such a good example of kind of like the false teachers that we see. Phony teachers, they market their false teaching on shiny platters. It looks good. It looks like we should take it in. But that kind of influence, it'll make you spiritually sick. And if you listen to it too long, it'll kill you. Two things. Choose purposely the right path for your life. Choose carefully the influences in your life. And lastly, choose correctly the foundation that you build your life upon. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter in. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is a very serious section of scripture, isn't it? And, and what Jesus is, is doing here, many of the people that were there with him that day, they were self-deceived. Many of them were Jewish. Many of them thought we've entered in. We've got the kingdom of heaven nailed down. We're going to be ushered in and they will come up lacking. Can you imagine standing before the all-holy God and he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Now Jesus has made it already crystal clear that it is through him. He is the narrow gate, the narrow door. And so what he's saying here is that many can be part of a church. Many can be doing good things for God and they come up lacking. Now Paul has a prescription for this in 2 Corinthians 13. This is what Paul says. He says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Some people are fooled and they're fooled for a number of reasons. For some people, it's maybe they, they have the same attitudes and belief as Christians, you know, same politics, you know, all this kind of stuff, but yet they don't know him. They don't know Christ. Some people have the right orthodoxy. They've got every box checked, but they have no personal connection to Jesus Christ. They've never truly repented and received Christ. Some people serve in a church. I mean, they do a ton of stuff. They're always active, and Jesus has a word for them. In verses 22 and 23, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles and I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Self-deception. So what do we do? He tells us. Make sure you know what the foundation of your life is built upon. Who and what are you building your life upon? Look at verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they slammed against the house, yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Now Jesus again is using an illustration here, a picture for us and it's of two houses and the houses are exactly alike. You couldn't tell them apart. Everything is designed the same. They have the same amount of windows and doors and rooms. Everything is the same except the main thing, the foundation, the most important thing. Now listen to what he says. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who had built his house on the sand. That word foolish, by the way, is moro, which is moron. You're a moron. If you don't listen to these words, you're a foolish man. 
because you're building your life on something that cannot stand. And when the storms of life hit, you will not stand. Your faith will crumble. That house will be broken. And how terrible will be that fall? But if your life is built on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, it will stand. Have you been tested lately? Has your faith withstood the test? When you got that bad, that bad diagnosis, when you lost that job, when that person you thought would stay didn't stay, did you stay in Christ? The foundation is him. And the question that you need to answer this morning, whom are you going to choose? What's your life built upon? I pray it's him. Let's close in prayer. Well, Father, very serious words by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for each person here right now for the decision is theirs. You have made it clear, crystal clear, Lord. There is but one door in one way. There are many false teachers, Lord, who proclaim all kinds of other ways, but Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has proclaimed that we must build our life on him. For he is that rock that does not move. I pray for each person here right now that you would show them the way. Help them to make that decision, Father, without wavering. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.